passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Rewind Dynamite. I am John Pollock. Joining me tonight in the hot seat, you know and love him, one of our big contributors during the G1 Climax who just wanted to come back for more. He wanted to get the authentic <laughs> AEW Dynamite slash Rewind Dynamite experience. Bruce Lord is here with us. Bruce, how are you tonight? Doing, doing wonderful, John. Yeah, you know, after coming on and discussing uh, all manner of, you know, relatively uh, pat and by the numbers, uh, you know, Ujiro matches and whatnot, I thought, you know, I've I've just been taking it easy, and I need to throw myself uh, into the just the Mach Ten experience uh, that is taking notes uh, about and then discussing uh, a breakneck episode of Rewinded Dynamite. Now, John, I know you know this is a jam-packed show that we have to work with. Uh, but as a couple of people have pointed out, the last couple of times that I've been on uh, Rewind to Dynamite, I've been kind of derelict in my filling in for way duties. Um, so I just kind of wanted to throw it out there, John. How's your day going? How was your day? How are you doing today? I, I appreciate that very much. Uh, I don't know if anyone can, can notice this week, but I, I, ha- I have been battling a, a, a bit of a cold that my uh, that my four year old son uh, passed on to me uh-huh. last weekend. So I'm 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 kind of uh, get, getting over that. Uh, but but I have to say today was a uh, a relatively it, it was going smoothly, and then um, the news kind of picked up like mid mid afternoon to uh, to late day. Uh, the news came down about uh, Howard Brody passing away, so I, yeah. I wrote up a, a story about that. And uh, for, for those that maybe have heard the name Howard Brody um he did you ever read his book Bruce or, or hear anything no, I never about did, it no. so he put out a book in 2009 called Swimming with Piranhas and it's one I definitely recommend for people that have any aspirations of ever working in this industry because Howard Brody was somebody that just did like all these like it was just he always seemed like he was on the verge of that 
the big break, that next idea that was going to hit and that was going to be his key to the industry of success. And it was always, you know, these projects that, you know, there would be some financial backer that fell through or something that just was not what it seemed. And this book, you're reading it and just going chapter by chapter. It's like, no, Howard, no, Howard, don't, don't do it. And it's just, it's a brutally honest book about all of his experiences in the industry. So I know that's a bit of a tangent from how my day was going, but um, yeah, we do have a story up on the site about Howard Brody, but it, it's a book I definitely recommend. Like it's a um, r- really fascinating from someone that, di- you know, did not did not get that giant break in wrestling, but still someone who had his hands in a whole lot of different areas of the industry. So he passed away. Uh, he had just had quadruple bypass surgery and sadly got an infection afterward. Uh, so he had been in, um, in, in a bad way over the last week or so. I believe he was about 62. So not mm-hmm. that old either. So condolences to, uh, Howard Brody, but, um, I throw it back to you, Bruce. How is your day going? It's been, you know, it was a very, very pleasant and relaxed day uh, for me uh, up until, uh, you know, Dynamite just absolutely kicked into gear. What, what was this um, like for you? Because I know I know we've done uh, y- you've done Dynamite on the past with way. I don't know if you and I have done Dynamite, but just the the, the note taking and boom, we're, we're live five minutes later. What was that experience like for you tonight? I mean, I feel as though, you know, doing all of the G1 reports, my ability to actually track and take note of in-ring action has probably, you know, been leveled up a little bit since the last time uh, that I did one of these. But in terms of keeping up with actual angles, storylines, appearances, run-ins, and whatnot, even by the standards of Dynamite, uh, this felt like a real, real, real jump. So I went from, like, having a very chill day listening to some kind of, you know, kind of dream pop sort of records, you know, playing a little bit of MLB The Show, checking in on my my baseball fantasy team, to just, boom, okay, two hours of nonstop uh, action being glued to your chair, glued to Twitter, glued to your note-taking the whole way through it. Well, we are uh, we are going to be getting into all of the news, uh, both uh, b- before Dynamite and coming out of Dynamite. There was plenty of it, uh, but just a few housekeeping notes on Thursday. Uh, MCU later is going to be back with WH Park and WH uh, WH Park and Rich Fan, who are going to be going through episode two of She Hulk. That will be out for all Post Wrestling Cafe members on Thursday night. Friday, I will be here with Kate from Montreal chatting SmackDown and Rampage. And then we've got WrestleNomics on on Sunday. Uh, Monday, we're also going to be doing a, a special show. It's going to be a look back at the Bret Hart British Bulldog match. It took place 30 years ago. And I'm going to have Stephen Bell on. He was the author of the Dynamite and Davy book. And he's got, uh, he did quite a lot of research on Davy Boy Smith, of course, for his book. So he's going to be on to, to chat about the legacy of that match and a lot of the circumstances surrounding that match, a very famous one from Wembley Stadium 30 years ago. So that's all coming up in the next couple of days. But let's dive into uh, some news items. And Bruce, I want to start off first with just sort of uh, your impressions, um, how much you've been keeping up with Dynamite and specific to last week where everything was coming out surrounding uh, CM Punk, uh, just some of your observations over the last week, the coverage and sort of your curiosity going into tonight's match with Punk and Moxley. Oh, I think like everybody else, my curiosity was absolutely through the roof. Uh, you know, like a lot of people, I had, you know, speculated, you know, rather idly, you know, I'm certainly not saying that this was definitely the case, but the possibility that the, you know, apparent hot shotting of the title match that was going to be happening tonight, uh, the question of whether that was maybe done in response uh, to kind of 
concerns about things kind of going off the rails with regards to, uh, you know, that receipt apparently being given to Hangman Page uh, in a, you know, unscripted, unprepared way uh, on a live mic last week, right? So um, all sorts of questions about how this match tonight was going to be handled, all sorts of questions about... Um, you know, what sort of uh, control or what sort of, you know, backstage problems might be starting to kind of crop up with these various, you know, uh, egos, different perspectives, the whole Colt Cabana issue. Um, on the one hand, you can sort of say, okay, look, this is sort of indicative of, um, you know, people will say, oh, this is reflective of, the, you know, the worst elements of WCW or whatever it might be, this sort of chaos happening and spilling out, uh, you know, onto mics or whatever it is. Um to my way of thinking, something like what we saw last week, uh, it's maybe a little bit more measured in that, okay, fine, it isn't the completely scripted, completely prepared, completely rehearsed form of, you know, promos and, quote, real-world references that you have been getting and have been getting on main roster WWE product for the past 10 years or so. But I do think that there's a middle ground between that overcooked, overprepared, overscripted, overrehearsed sort of product and, you know, absolute chaos in which everybody is constantly going uh, into business, uh, you know, for themselves. Uh, Based on the reaction that Punk got when he came out tonight, uh, you know, there were a lot of people who did seem to be kind of leaning into the the heel direction that that promo last week was going into. And I can't imagine that all of those people are necessarily 100% up to date on what all of the intimations of, you know, the apology must be as loud and as public as the offense. You know, I think that the the heelish dimension that Punk was working with in that promo last week still got across uh, whether or not, you know, you were privy to uh, the, the whole hangman business or not. Yeah, I... I would say, and we talked about this a little bit last week, like this is one of the, I would say, positives people view of AEW is that these, this is not a company that has writers. They do not have promos that that are written out uh, for, for everybody. And that allows for a more organic type of presentation and personalities to come across. I would say where that line is crossed is where you are talking about an, an instance where Tony Khan does not know a direction that is going to be coming or the target yep. of a challenge um, impromptu in the ring does not know that is coming. And that to me comes down to a level of trust. Like how much trust can you put in this person that also doubles as your biggest star mm-hmm. uh, that, that that CM Punk is in in this company? So I would say and to kind of juxtapose that to, you know, reportedly where this stemmed from of like Hangman's promo like that, again, was kind of trying to build up a match and perhaps crossing this either imagined or distinct line um, that punk had a perception that it, that it was, that it was crossed. I mean, that to me is more to your point of kind of going to the edge and maybe in an unscripted environment, you are going to go over the edge with the intention of building a match last week. I, I I saw that as something that I mean, Hmm. it's very hard to defend that as anything other than unprofessional. And before we get into the review, I mean, worth noting, like no hangman page on this show, nor like it was addressed in a roundabout way on being the elite, almost as like an out for hangman page, but like nothing to refer to it tonight at, at all for people that were seeking that out. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, you're you're absolutely right in the difference between what Page did and and what Punk said, uh, and that one of those things leads towards a particular storytelling point, leads towards theoretically a money making match for all involved. Um, I guess my thing is just sort of I sort of anticipate some degree of things like that. And you're right, it is unprofessional, but I do expect things like that to sort of fall between the cracks when you have 
egos like this, money like this, uh, and whatnot. The question of whether or not you can trust those people on your live television and the problem of when it is, as you're saying, absolutely your biggest money drawing star. Uh, and how do you sort of rein that in? Uh, is, you know, this is maybe one of the bigger tests in terms of kind of backstage managing, uh, that Tony Khan has had to, has had to deal with. It has to be one of the biggest kind of curveballs that he's been thrown. Obviously, I think we are still sort of uncertain as to how that has been handled. Right. Yes. And, and I would certainly say, like, it's a territory that I'm not a big fan of, of kind of going in, like, even if you, if you take what happened last week, and then the decision is, well, let's, let's make money with this, let's, let's go in this direction. Like, I, I do feel that there is a danger in, go, in going so much in kind of this direction that your audience is going to be so up on everything. And there was a very distinct line on tonight's show where Max Caster made reference to this talent meeting that was held <laughs> crickets in this arena. And I think that was a real wake up call that, you know, there is, an audience out there that yes, that line might land perfectly and it's it's considered taboo or it, it really lands, but there's also a large amount of people that it is are not following to mm-hmm, that degree. Mm-hmm. And I would want my, my storytelling to be as as wide wide a net as possible that I'm trying to cast. And and to me that's that's sort of where we've detoured from this punk Moxley uh, angle that I would say two weeks ago, I was saying like this is building up to be a tremendous pay-per-view main event and we'll see we'll see what everyone's opinions are coming out of uh, tonight and what they did uh but just referring to the, this talent meeting, so uh, it was reported earlier today that AEW was holding a mandatory meeting uh, with talent in Cleveland, and some notes that have come out from uh, Fightful Select and PWInsider.com uh, mentioning the fact that uh, uh, Tony Khan, who was one of several people that spoke at this, uh, came across, he was very fired up, talking about the lines of communication, having access to him, uh, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Jericho and Shivani all spoke as well. And it was brought up that an email was sent to Nick Khan and Stephanie McMahon uh, from their uh, their chief uh, legal officer, Omega, uh, about potential tampering with with contracted talent that was uh, brought up that allegedly they have notified Nick Khan and Stephanie McMahon a warning against this as, as well. So um, that was that was mentioned as well. So. I'm sure that there will be maybe some more details to come out of this, but the fact that they felt the need that a a kind of all hands on deck meeting was necessary, like there has been quite a lot out there about AEW and sort of uh, keeping, I I guess, people on on the same page that this was necessary to get the talent all together and hopefully come out of it with a, at least get the management's message across to talent. It's it's such an interesting, you know, kind of time or period that we're in because, you know, as people have been saying since AEW first, you know, kind of got off the ground and, you know, sort of revealed itself to be an actual legitimate enterprise uh, that could competitively uh, draw away, you know, former WWE talent or ta- WWE talent uh, whose contracts were expiring. You know, there's been all of this talk about, oh, the great position that this puts talent in, right? And that there is somewhere else to hop over to, right? But of course, you know, as we all know, that is going to go uh, both ways, right? And I certainly, I think that, the, you know, it's still way, 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 way too early uh, to really have a sense as to what Triple H's vision uh, of main roster WWE will look like in one year's time or in two years time, or, you know, uh, whether or not your projects like Gargano or Owens, uh, you know, or rebuilding Ricochet or whatever it is. Uh, there's still obviously a lot of things uh, kind of in, in the works and uh, up for grabs there. But in terms of larger interest, 
uh, that, you know, people will now have possibly in either returning to the WWE or joining them uh, for the first time. It makes for a really interesting time. I mean, I think we all know that kind of, you know, under the table contract tampering and kind of word of mouth, you know, off the record discussions, uh, you know, have been part of this business going back decades. They've been part of pretty much all sports, uh, you know, going back decades as well in terms of college athletes or whatever else it might be. Uh, you know, it's just a question of, well, it has to be off the record. Uh, and if there have actually been, uh, you know, kind of on the record emails sent from WWE.com corporate a- email addresses. That does seem to be uh, another thing. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting to sort of see how various talent measure themselves and whether or not they see themselves as being uh, possibly able to do more or to advance themselves more back up in Stanford, right? We all know that these are people who are, with the possible exception of Brian Danielson, incredibly ambitious, incredibly uh, self-motivated, right? And have to have a lot of faith in themselves to be willing to put themselves through the paces that it takes uh, to get to kind of the upper tiers of this industry, right? So you have to, at least some part of you has to think that, yeah, you know, if I am getting that call, uh, you know, from the big company up north, would I be better off up there? And I have to imagine a lot of them are looking at it that way. How how instrumental do you feel the the Cody Rhodes move has has played into uh, perception and also reality? Because it's not just a hey here's here's an example of a talent going the opposite way, going back to WWE, but it's also correlated with you know a business uptick for WWE. They had a very successful two night WrestleMania. Cody was. You know, for all the skeptics of how he would be handled, I don't think you can possibly um, complain or be disappointed with the way Cody was handled. I mean, he was treated like a main event yeah. star from up until his injury, and I think will be one, once he comes back. And now with uh, th- this switch in leadership in the company on top of it, I mean, this this has been, to me, it's been a, a, a business upswing for WWE, but also the, the perception of WWE as a more engaging product. I think like the the beginning process of that was like Cody coming over was a pretty um, eye, eye-opening move that I think did get attention back on WWE from that fan that may have been jaded. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that you had on the one hand the injury and then the changeover in leadership happening while Cody, you know, was and remains on the shelf, I think has sort of kept us from really seeing, okay, just how far, you know, were they willing to kind of, you know, go all the way to the end zone uh, after throwing Cody the ball or whatever analogy or metaphor you'd want to use there, Uh, you know, and we will have to wait and see uh, sort of how he is presented when he does return. But I have to imagine uh, that, you know, Triple H is going to be able to look beyond, you know, whatever sort of pride might still be left over from the throne smashing spot uh, and see that, you know, to, uh, that Cody is, you know, and is very well positioned to be an absolute, uh, you know, top tier, you know, if not champion, uh, certainly a top tier contender. But I mean, I think he should be a champion uh, in that company uh, in the short to medium term future. So obviously kind of the exact uh, kind of object example uh, that Cody was, I think everybody was looking to Cody to be, we still haven't kind of gotten the last little book or the last little word on how that's all going to shake out. But certainly the first, you know, however many months it was uh, of the utilization of Cody, uh, you know, the presentation of him, the way in which, uh, 
you know, they were able to actually weave in and acknowledge uh, indirectly by WWE, or as, as direct as WWE ever will, uh, acknowledge, you know, where he had been for the past few years. Uh, you know, I think everybody at the WWE recognized that this was a real kind of once in a lifetime, or at least once in the history of AEW opportunity, right? It's one of the founding figures of the company. It's somebody who has been presented as an absolute top tier person within that company, returning back as a prodigal son. And they knew that all eyes were going to be on them, were going to be on the handling of Cody. And if he was treated the way that, you know, former WCW talent were uh, post-invasion, if anything of that sort happened, it would have been a critical disaster for them. And they certainly wouldn't be in this position uh, of, you know, perhaps having some more receptive people uh, in the AEW locker room if they are beginning to, you know, send uh, missives out and, you know, put feelers out to some of those people right now. And just... uh to also uh, just put a, a spotlight on what CM Punk uh, spoke publicly about. He did an interview with uh, Justin Barrasso at uh, Sports Illustrated uh, promoting tonight's match with John Moxley, and it was brought up about the comments uh, levied at Hangman Page in last week's promo, and Punk's response was, that's what I'm here to do, make people want to see what happens next. I'm trying to sell tickets to the live events. That goes back to me saying, Twitter isn't the real world. Twitter is a bunch of people that don't really care about your opinion. They want to find like-minded opinions that share their worldview. I'm trying to tell stories, sell tickets, and get people to tune in on Dynamite. So I guess the question would be, is he telling the same story that AEW is attempting to sell to the public, and is he? Uh, what what tickets are being sold? I guess that that would be the question. Not really addressing the the, the meat of the question there about the um, the comments uh, towards Hangman Page, and if that is like I, I could see very well that this is a direction that they go after this, but I do not believe that that was the um, the intent, at least from. Where, where the where people expected the promo to be going last week with, with Punk, but yeah, that is his yeah. side. Yeah, no, I mean it, it, that's about him trying to sort of dovetail the conversation back into the Moxley match, and then if they do want to go uh, in a Hangman direction afterwards, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, you're you're it's it's kind of a convenient out to right to sort of be using the like ah you know everybody's always working brother uh, sort sort of line that he's that he's using there. Yeah, yeah, I think it's also very. Uh, Instructive for people that are watching all of this to be like asking just the basic question of what other answer would this person be giving? Like it's like, of course, you're going to ask like CM Punk this question and you're not going to expect him to just, yep, I totally just went into business for myself. Like you're not going to get that kind of an answer out of him, Uh, nor am I going to expect to hear Tony Schiavone stating that, you know, Everything's perfect here. Like, of course, it's like he's not going to come out. And, um, you know, it's I think people really like cling to this. And it's more so just reinforcing what their their own beliefs are of 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 where where things stand. So it's it's an interesting time for AEW. I don't think they have ever been at this level. I think of the kind of microscope on on their on their locker room, on their on their you know company culture and, and where things are like this is the first time that they have. I would say hit a a roadblock in terms of their growth that had sort of been in one direction. And now you have an ultra competitive WWE that I think is speaking to that fan that found AEW where a lot of their mission statement was we are not WWE. And now WWE is presenting a product that is bringing people back. It's got their attention and it's in direct con. It's it's very much catering to the same fan that AEW has. So it's it's a very interesting period for AEW of how they navigate. 
it's the first time that they've really been on the defensive. And we can maybe even talk a little bit about when we get into discussion of tonight's episode, the degree to which one of their kind of current storylines or angles, how that intersects with, you know, WWE's presentation of itself and whether that's still um, right. accurate or not. Um, but I guess the, the thing for me is that like, something like this was always sort of going to happen, I feel, you know, and like there was, you know, I think AEW enjoyed uh, a very long honeymoon period, both in terms of, you know, the acquisitions that they made and ultimately just the real quality of the actual, you know, pay-per-views and in-ring wrestling product, right? They kept delivering at that score for such a long period of time that I don't think those of us who had been so disenfranchised from the WWE for a lengthy period of time ever really felt the need, you know, to sort of like, go back and, and check back in. I do think, um, you know, not to be kind of a, a wet blanket on a lot of the the kind of the uptick, uh, you know, and people like you and Braden and, and whatnot who've been talking about uh, Raw and SmackDown over the last little while. I do think that, you know, the WWE is enjoying something of that as well right now. Right. You know, that uh, people are responding to, uh, you know, hey, there's actually wrestling on WWE or like, oh, yeah, you know, they use the word wrestler. Hurrah. Or, oh, you know, this this, you know, the, the hometown person won. And you know, there's a all- lot of easy wins. Like exactly. Just, yeah. Like literally turning the lights on are going to be wins <laughs> for your audience right now. And you're very much in that honeymoon period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, like I have not gone back and watched, you know, three hours of Raw two hours of SmackDown. And to be frank, it's probably going to take a hell of a long time. Uh, and the, um, the ousting of Kevin Dunn, uh, or at least his, his, his philosophy of shooting television uh, to get me to actually, you know, do that uh, after all of these years. So I can't speak, I cannot speak with authority uh, to this. Uh, but, you know, I, yeah, I do feel that as you're saying there, just any sort of turnaround of the ship, any sort of improvement is going to be viewed as just a, a mammoth uptick. Whereas it, is probably just the beginnings of, you know, starting to dig back up uh, to use the Simpsons image a little bit. So that's going to transition us over to Dynamite from tonight at the Wolstein Center in Cleveland, Ohio. And there will obviously be a lot of news coming out of this show and a a ton of announcements for All Out as well. So we will look at that updated card at the end. But on commentary tonight, Jim Ross, Excalibur, Taz, and Tony Schiavone. We had a four-man booth at at uh, certain parts when when Tony Schiavone got uh, time in between interviews. The uh, the busiest man on these Dynamite tapings. Chris Jericho starts at the show, and last week he said that one of his favorite. Jericho Appreciation Society members, Daniel Garcia. I thought that was such a great subtle line. That's like me saying w- one of my favorite people on this stream with me, Bruce Lord. One of my favorites. <laughs> one of the favorite people that I live with. One of my favorite dogs. You know, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, there's there's so many, there's so many, but amongst all of them, you know, Garcia is pretty good. He said that he wants to work out these problems with Daniel Garcia face to face. So he introduces his future champion and protege, Danny. And out comes Danny, who this guy, I always talk, his body language is just phenomenal. He comes out, he's all nervous. He's looking conflicted and he doesn't have the Kangle hat on. He's just wearing regular attire and comes in and the you're a wrestler chant takes off. And this chant is going to follow him after last week. I was great. It was great to hear this Cleveland crowd pick it up and continue with it. 
it also kept going uh, on Dark, actually, uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, when he had a really good match with uh, Weston Blake, the, you know, former dubstep cowboy and NXT tag team champion. So the fact that it just, you know, that it jumped over to Dark, uh, you know, just whatever it was, two or three days after uh, Dynamite, whoever, I mean, and that sounded, at least to me, last week on Dynamite, it sounded like a legitimate, just organic yeah. uh, chant that sort of broke up there. So, you know, kudos to whoever thought that one up, because they have organically struck upon the what the defining narrative i think that we will see for the ascent of garcia as a major player in aew you know you can you can put it on a shirt you can chant it it tells you everything about what everybody wants uh for you know such a young and exciting talent jericho says that he knows garcia's emotions were high last week after the match with danielson I just want an apology, and the crowd boos this notion. Garcia says that he knew how important that moment was, sharing the ring with his hero, Brian Danielson, and I hung with him for 30 minutes with the best wrestler in the world, saying this all to Jericho's face. I had always dreamt of having that type of match. All that I cared about was that moment when Danielson reached his hand out to give me his respect, and you ruined it. Jericho says, you're going to have plenty more moments just like that. You are the best technical sports entertainer, which elicits more booze from the crowd and says, I want to hear you say that you're a sports entertainer. And before Garcia can answer, Brian Danielson comes down. Danielson says that Garcia can be whatever he wants to be, but he agrees with the audience. He's a wrestler. And Garcia gets upset that he's being put on the spot in front of all these fans. And Jericho grabs him, but then he gets shoved down to the map by Garcia. Crowd is chanting, you deserve it. And Garcia just storms off, goes to the back, leaving Jericho with Danielson. And Danielson notes that I'm not much of a sports entertainer, but that was pretty entertaining. Jericho is sick of hearing about Danielson as the best wrestler. I don't see it. And he puts over his own longevity, reinvention, and being a survivor of Stu Hart's dungeon. And he knows more about wrestling than Danielson ever will. So Danielson asks, who would Stu Hart say is the better wrestler between us? Who would your hero Owen Hart say is the better wrestler? And if we wrestled here in Cleveland, who do you think would win? So Jericho agrees to a match on September 4th at All Out. The fans are pissed. But Jericho warns him that I choked you out at Anarchy in the Arena and put you out for two months and warns him to watch his back when Jake Hager jumps Danielson to end the segment. So one of many match announcements for All Out. I think everyone saw this uh, being the match for All Out. I'm very curious to see uh, Daniel Garcia's involvement in this and what comes out of it for that that Buffalo Dynamite. That just It just seems everything is in alignment for something really big with Garcia on that show. A whole lot uh, to like about this, at least in terms of its utilization of the three uh, main talents here. The fact that you sort of almost have, you know, Garcia as like, you know, the bell of the ball or whatever with these, you know, two guys, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the handsome jock and, you know, the, the, the cool, you know, chain smoking greaser outsider, you know, like fighting for his attentions, uh, you know, as to, as to who, you know, who, who's going to go to the prom with her. Uh, you, you had that. Uh, it's a minor point. But when Danielson came in, Taz on the commentary was saying, ah, you know, Danielson's being such an instigator. And obviously Danielson is the face here. And obviously Taz is there to be a heel commentator. But 
to a certain degree, he's right. Like, we all love Brian Danielson, but he can have that slightly smarmy, holier-than-thou attitude and smirk on his face that he had while all of this was going on, just like watching, you know, one of his enemies, uh, you know, scions, you know, begin to turn against him and everything like that. Like, obviously, he's there to stir the pot. And I liked that, you know, that he was still kind of allowed to have that slightly kind of, again, holier than thou edge to it. Uh, You know, yeah, the the match itself should be great. The fact that it obviously calls back to the Danielson injury angle that we saw a few weeks ago, which whether real or not, I mean, that's, you know, the whole leg trapped in the in, in, in the guardrail thing, um, you know, the fact that they were able to kind of pick that thread back up uh, and now with the added stakes sort of of, you know, the affections or destiny of, of young Daniel Garcia uh, being attached to this uh, was all really good. And the fact that Garcia, I thought, came across as really just honest and likable, right? Like he's, he is in a really difficult position here as the younger person who has respect and admiration for these people. Um, you know, and it sucks, you know, whether it's uh, in a professional capacity or an academic capacity or whatever, when, you know, you're younger and people that you respect and admire are sort of using you as a pawn, uh, in their own fight, right? I think that's a really relatable position, you know, maybe for, I don't know, for, for people whose, you know, parents went through a divorce or something like that. So I thought just the basic essential humanity of, of uh, Garcia's position uh, came across really well here as well. Yeah, so a good segment to, to set up the match. And I guess cu- curious to see how Daniel Garcia is kind of woven into this because he's sort of the uh, – he, he's like – to me, he is the focus of this. And it's like th- these two are the ones having the match. So um, – but I, I think Daniel Garcia, this has done him um, – a lot it's it's not just like you got the two out of three falls match last week but it's a lot of the character work that has stood out the most for me with daniel garcia that he's really stepped up into this role and it's and it's working and the audience is taking to him in a a big way the wrestling has been there from the beginning but the character stuff you're exactly right sorry just john just two other thoughts that came out of this one the irony uh of you know an angle that is all about you know wrestling being superior to sports entertainment being used to start a 15 minute talking segment at the beginning of an episode of dynamite uh unlike the you know the match that they normally start with uh and then the question that we were sort of alluding to a few minutes earlier does this whole jericho appreciation society sports entertainment you know which path is garcia going to go down does that maybe has a bit of the wind been taken out of that story's sales given how overt and obvious uh the wwe has been with you know throwing sports entertainment as a phrase out with uh you know drew and kevin owens leaning into the whole we're wrestlers so let's wrestle uh sort of thing do you feel as though there's maybe a shorter shelf life uh on this whole angle than there might have been a month or two ago I, I actually think if if you were to really put some deep thought into it, that they could make this Jericho Appreciation Society as almost this um, to take some shots at how that's kind of the perception of WWE and that they can actually illuminate a lot of the of a lot of the tropes that still exist in, in WWE, a lot of the the quick camera cuts and just other aspects that almost shine a light on WWE still being a very overproduced product that um, that is sort of getting um, a lot of praise at the moment that they could uh, still incorporate into this. But I understand what, what you're saying. Like this is, you know, WWE is very much, I think, shifting that that narrative where th- this was 
just a slam dunk, easy, easy heat type of uh, faction before. And and now you are kind of changing that perception. But I, I do feel there's still there's still elements that they could um, shift this with. But it also makes you question kind of the the longevity of this group just in general, where, yeah. you know, the guys have especially 2.0 and Garcia. They, they've benefited a lot from this. And with Garcia, I don't know if it would be kind of a lost opportunity if this all just ends up in Garcia back in his spot. And this is more designed to be a way down the road exile from the Jericho Appreciation Society. Like the time might be now. Yeah, yeah. You could drag it out for a little bit, but I wouldn't want to go too long with it just because of how hot the crowd is behind Garcia right now. Jim Ross thinks this is going to be the greatest dynamite ever. We're going to see the unification of the titles. And then Shivani adds, we're also going to see father versus son. So 1A, 1B tonight on the on the priority list. Unifications and father versus son. But starting things off is Dax Harwood against Jay Lethal. And Lethal sends Sutnam Singh and Sanjay Dutt to the back. Uh, and we start this off. Uh, head scissors by Lethal, headlock takeover by Dax, and then they get into lighting each other's chests up with these huge chops, just one after the other. Uh, Lethal slips out of the corner and uses a side Russian leg sweep off the second turnbuckle, and it was notable here. They did not go to their first picture-in-picture break until 21 minutes into the show, and it seemed that they were really just, like, that first quarter is always typically the biggest, and I think that's that's certainly an ability to just keep that audience for as much as possible that's going to swell that first hour. It's, you know, this is a show that with Punk and Moxley, you know, six months ago, you would have been banking. This is going to do easily a point four in the demo. I, like, they have really struggled to come mm-hmm. anywhere near that uh, over the this summer. Um, just looking at the numbers, like, they have not hit a point four since June the 1st, which was that forum show right after Double or Nothing. So, and that's been with some big matches over or recently with the, the Quake by the Lake and tonight. But this will certainly be a number that is uh, greatly dissected oh, by, yeah. by people. But it was 21 minutes here before we went to a break. Afterwards, uh, Lethal used the Lethal Combination for a two-count, Dragon Screw through the rope, and Suicide Dive. He applies the figure four, Dax gets to the rope, and then it's Dax who stops a second figure four attempt, going for the sharpshooter. Lethal fights it off with up kicks, and Lethal attacks his quad. Lethal Injection gets blocked, and Dax hits a slingshot into a Liger Bomb. Big near fall as the crowd is with it, and Dax gets the sharpshooter when Sanjay Dutt reemerges, appears on the apron. Dax runs into him. There's a roll-up for a two-count. O'Connor roll out of the corner, and it leads to a cover that is uh, a roll-up that is reversed by Jay Lethal as he hooks the trunks, grabbing them of Dax Harwood and catches him in 12 minutes and 50 seconds. Between the dragon screw, the springboard crossbody, and then just all of the roll-up and kind of sit-down counter roll-ups, I was like, okay, somebody's been watching all of their G1. Yeah, uh, the Dax did, did the reverse cross here, and they made a big point of the fact that it's desperation time when FTR are coming off the rope. So they got the most out of a reverse cross off the <laughs> second rope. I mean, there's a lesson there for, for wrestlers as well. Definitely, definitely. I mean, look, you know, uh, contrary to the promo that uh, I think he cut last week, uh, I don't believe necessarily that you know Dax is the wrestler of the year but he's damn sure wrestling like someone uh who believes that he is the uh especially you know this this really got into gear with all of those you know chops that you were saying to kind of the neck and chest and throat uh and it had that real sense of brutality to it um I have been a little hot and cold uh with the whole um lethal dut 
uh, Singh trio, and we'll we'll get to that in a minute here. Uh, in that, you're like, not the only one, apparently. Yeah, and the whole like larger image of oh, you know, Wardlow power bombing, saying okay, fine, that's something to to work towards or get towards at some point. Uh, but not everything, all of the incremental steps along the way have really landed. But this was just a really really solid uh, opener in terms of actual wrestling. Uh, again, um, you know, all all the hard hitting chops, some ni- some nice reversals towards the end, very enjoyable stuff. Yeah, I mean, these two, this looked good on paper. This was a enjoyable match. And after the match, Dutt says that he never said who would be the opponents for FTR and Wardlow at All Out. So Jay Lethal is teaming with two close friends of theirs, and they announced that the Motor City Machine Guns will be teaming with Jay Lethal at All Out. So a, a very interesting change in that they look to be looking at match quality over what was you know a match built around the spot like you had Satnam Singh cut the promo powerbomb me and mm-hmm. they I mean that's still something you could go to in, in the match but it seems like that is not the selling feature anymore they just want to have a kick-ass trios match which when this match was announced it seemed like there were more people down on this with like FTR kind of in a in a throwaway match where the focus was Wardlow and Singh yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's Shelly and Save, and we, we all know what that sort of represents in terms of in-ring product. And obviously, this is just a continuation of, you know, the whole extended mash note uh, to classic ROH that Tony Khan has been penning over the last few months. And, you know, this is only going to drive up more speculation and more questioning of, oh, okay, well, what does ROH actually look like? Is it on a streaming platform? Is a TV deal still something that's a remote possibility? All of those sorts of questions which everybody, you know, and, and Brandon Thurston on, on WrestleNomics and all sorts of people uh, have been chewing over. Um, but in the short term, um, I'm really somewhat shocked at the fact that, you know, t- to look at this, this says to me that in addition to the whole question of, oh, you know, how much of a hot pan do we want to play with FTR? Because they are the hottest tag team in the business right now. Uh, but leaving that aside, you know, Singh has been such a project of theirs. Uh, I was on uh, Rewind to Dynamite, I believe, with Way uh, on the night of his big debut in the middle of that Joe, uh, at the end of that Joe confrontation to, to close the show. And it really kind of puzzled and stymied me then. Uh, and I'm a bit puzzled and stymied at his lack of appearance or his, you know, lack of inclusion here. You know, I mean, if you don't, trust you know this this rookie prospect this giant in the works that you have to be hidden in the back of a six-man tag that includes ftr uh jay lethal and even sanjay Dutt as a veteran there i'm not sure what else you can really do with him then you know is it is he is he kind of like going back for more seasoning is you know is he in a position where he shouldn't be checking his email for the next couple of days i was really quite flummoxed by this yeah, it's uh, kind of interesting to look at the two giants, uh, Satnam Singh and Omos, and, their, <laughs> yeah. and what what their trajectory is going to be. But it was, it was very notable because this all seemed built around the powerbomb spot, and this seemed like, no, we're going to take a sharp turn. And this got a big pop with the machine guns in an AEW ring for, for the pay-per-view, and it's certainly going to be a much better received match than the original. So you have to look at it as an upgrade there, although I, I think – your, your points are valid. Like they were building in a direction and you can still do Wardlow and sing, but maybe that's te- uh, that that's a television match that, yeah. you know, really it's the spot that you are selling people on. 
Shivani is with Thunder Rosa, who just looks heartbroken and announces she has to step down as champion due to injury and an interim champion will be crowned at All Out. She says she hopes that Tony Storm's dreams come true. She's coming back better and stronger than ever with a chip on her shoulder. And Excalibur noted it will be a four-way match at All Out with Tony Storm, Britt Baker, Hikaru Shida, and Jamie Hayter. And much like when CM Punk made his announcement about his injury, it seems like it's the verbiage is very confusing because the fact that it is an interim champion, uh, I take this as she keeps the title. Although she said she was stepping down as as champion, but I I see this as she's coming back and not relinquishing the title. Uh, it was a little bit unclear to me as well, and I think the fact that this uh, you know seemed like a completely one hundred percent legit and probably very recent uh, you know injury that just you know has hit Rosa. They just out, out they the just had uh, it was funny because they have like the results going down there. It's like Hikaru Shida just lost in a tag match on Dark, which was yep. this past weekend. So I mean th- that that would suggest to me that this came came about rather yeah, rather yeah. quick. So it, it could just be a case of, you know, Rose's own emotions, you know, kind of getting in the way of the, you know, word by word messaging uh, that they might have been wanting to communicate. And hell, you know, we've seen how, uh, you know, just the slightest ambiguity about the wording of an interim champion uh, can be used to build a whole lot of steam uh, for a match later on and to and to put, uh, as Rosa was saying, a, a bigger chip on your shoulder. Yeah, for sure. So we will uh, look to find out more about this injury. Hopefully, is not too serious. Um, the fact that they're doing an interim title, you would you would you would hope that that's not too long of a, of a period that she'll be out of action. But hopefully, a quick reco- recovery for her. But now it's time for the main event: father versus son, Billy Gunn against Colton Gunn. The match that you've all been waiting for. Uh, the acclaimed come out with Billy, and Max Caster does his rap, stating that Billy should have used a condom. He said. We're going to give a savage beating so much that they'll have to call another town meeting. And you heard him like, stop. Dude, they, the crowd reacted to all his lines, but this one, this instantly took everyone back to Eric Bischoff. What's wrong, Sid? Can't find your scissors? <laughs> and then repeating it into the microphone, like, oh, it must be the microphone that's not working. They didn't hear me because this is a zinger. No, there was nothing to to this reaction and then ended it saying that they're going to wipe them out like Biden did student debt. Yeah, thankfully they had that thankfully the 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 the, the, the locker room meeting line was not the final punchline. There was at least one more bar to come yes. uh because yeah, that that was left hanging. To be honest, it took a few seconds for me you know, as a terminally online wrestling person to even remember uh, that and draw that line. So yeah, I, I can't imagine that it that it went over very well to, for most people. A lot of daddy-ass chants at the beginning. They spent all picture-in-picture on the floor with Colton being run into the guardrail. Austin tries to grab at Billy when he's getting into the ring. Colton takes over, and then Stokely Hathaway attacks Max Caster with the boombox. Austin takes down Anthony Bowens, and it leads to a low blow by Colton and the Colt 45 as he pins his father in 6 minutes and 17 seconds. Stokely hands Austin and Colton cards. They take them, and then they proceed to stomp down Billy and the acclaimed when Swerve in our glory run down the guns exit and the tag team champions stand alongside Billy Gunn and the acclaimed. I can't imagine what your reaction would have been, John, uh, if I'd predicted before this episode of Dynamite started that the match between Billy Gunn and Colton Gunn would go about twice as long as the unifying <laughs> world championship. A great point. Match. Yes. Yes. Um, this- 
yeah, I mean, this was obviously leading towards the angle, but even at six minutes, I felt like this was just kind of, kind of long. Just the brawling outside around the guardrails was was pretty lame. Like, you know, if if the other guys were watching, you know, the, the Tanahashi matches uh, in the G one, you know, we were getting a whole lot of like Evil and Kenta, you know, flashbacks for me here with just the long guardrail spots. Um, the crowd started chanting, "Who's your daddy?" At one point, and I'm like that doesn't work. We, we know who he is. Daddy is it's, it's him. He literally is Monty Sop is this kid's father. There's nothing figurative or metaphorical or, you know, there's no sexual innuendo there. Um, I, to be honest, I've never really been that high on the gun club in terms of in ring. I think the heel turn for them a while ago was the smart move to do, uh, but there just really, really wasn't much here uh, apart from leading towards this angle, uh, hooking them up with Stokely, uh, and then the, the whole acclaimed, uh, leading the acclaimed into the, the swerve in their glory angle further on. Yeah, it's like when you piece together this whole storyline with the gun club and the acclaimed, like it has just been so laden with angles on top of angles, like turns, uh, like multiple times we've had. Billy and the gun club turn on the acclaimed. Then the gun club turns on Billy. We've had the gun club tossed off uh, in dumpsters and come back the next day. It's just there's just a lot that's been piled onto this. Like, I don't the gun club has their role, especially as as heels. But I I I don't know. There's there's a lot of time dedicated to this. And at the end of it, it's a pay-per-view match that has nothing involving the the gun club. So I I don't know if it's necessarily like the the investment is if you have the payoff at the end of it all. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, I think the short to medium term project here should be the acclaimed and the whole, you know, (laughs) scissor me thing is is, is over like Rover right now. So that's that's all fine and good. Uh, But I don't know that this path towards this tag team match uh, is the one that has built them up to be the most credible in terms of in ring. And that's that's a shame because I really, especially Bowens, I am such a fan uh, of Bowens work in ring. I think he's often, often overlooked uh, for his actual match quality. So hopefully the ultimate match will be good. Shivani is with both sets of trios for tonight. Osprey brings up the 2019 30-minute draw he had with Pac in RevPro. And Pac says they've waited too long for this opportunity. And they have decided they aren't going to kill them tonight. They're going to murder them. That's that's really a kind of a thorny jurisprudence question, kind of dealing with like intent, state of mind. I'm not sure that, you know, we, the the average, you know, wrestling viewing public would be capable of differentiating between those different actions, you know, we need smart Mark Sterling or some other legal figure to be able to break down and delineate, you know, killing versus murder uh, in in a wrestling ring. Pack was the swing vote for his team. Went with murder. (laughs) Dr. Britt Baker against Kylan King. Um, They did a, they did a great angle with these two on dark, like Kylan King. They put her in the main event. She won quick, but more importantly was they gave her promo time. I thought she did really well with the promo and then having Britt Baker show up. And I, I, just thought we should get more of this for matches that maybe on paper aren't jumping off the screen for dynamite each week but i thought this angle was great on dark and i was very impressed with kylan king's promo absolutely i had the exact same note here after watching dark uh earlier this week you know as a dedicated dark viewer i you know i'm always happy to see uh you know let's say the um the underdogs uh you know who are often given uh, a winning match on dark to set up you know a match against a champion or a former champion on dynamite or rampage you know that's a convention that they've long used but it was just great to see you know actual like facetime between both of them to see Britt come out and to set up the actual match uh, on dynamite with 
with that angle. Uh, you know, in, in her promo, Kylan was talking about the fact that, you know, she was one of the people who was, you know, on dark a lot in the early days and in the lockdown days, uh, you know, but wasn't getting as many calls, you know, once they went back to touring and once uh, live crowds sort of came back and how she's had to kind of grit and, you know, climb and fight her way back onto a spot like dark. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it did a whole hell of a lot here uh, on dark to set up this match. So there's chance of Baker sucks at the beginning. She pulls Kylan King's arms around the post from the floor. And they're, they're noting the fact that King grew up 30 miles from here. And King gets sent into the corner, super kick, stomp, and then on goes the glove and lockjaw in 355. Uh, it, it almost felt like the angle, like you were hoping like King would get a little bit more in this match. But this was largely, uh, you know, it was four minutes and it was a pretty dominant win for Britt Baker. You could have, in my mind, you could have stolen about three minutes from the previous match and stuck it onto this one because I thought it was a much better built one. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I like King's in-ring work. Uh, but obviously, with the announcement of the Rosa uh, vaca injury and, and, yeah. and Brit's upcoming spot, they needed to get to that. Baker says she wrestled as champion with a broken wrist because that's what a champion does. And Tony Storm comes out. She gets jumped by Jamie Hayter and nailed into the apron. Rebels got a terrible towel for Baker, and then Hakaru Shida runs down. And so we have all four women that are in the four-way, and we will get a tag match with them next week on Dynamite. I think it might have been Pittsburgh sucks rather than Brit sucks that the, the chant was there. I don't know if they're building on the, uh, you know, the longstanding, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, Ohio sports rivalries or whatnot. Uh, I wasn't super nuts about, you know, the kind of each person, each contender having to like come down to the ring one by one, very WWE style. But given the short amount of time that they had to work on here, I was fine with it. And I'm very happy that haters going to be involved. Shivani's with Swerve in our glory and the acclaimed. They love the acclaimed and note that they are ranked. And Keith Lee says that they are worthy opponents. Max Castro says they don't need their praise. We're the best homegrown team in AEW and the winningest team. And Bowens calls them uncrowned champions that are going to take the belts at all out. So that is our tag program for the pay-per-view that is set up. I love the fact that, you know, after, after, you know, they said everybody loves the acclaimed, you had a very mortified swerve just saying, huh, not anymore after they've been so rude to them. I like that little touch. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And next, CM Punk and John Moxley going at the start of the second hour. And, I mean, this crowd was going nuts as these two made their entrances. It felt like a very big match. And we get the crowd roaring as the bell rings and they're chanting back and forth. Jim Ross noting the stiff collar and elbow tie-up that they're engaging in. And then they go into shots from Moxley in the corner. Punk fires back. And then Punk fires off a head kick and goes down holding his, holding his shin. And what was interesting was he did kick with the right leg and then grabbed the left. So um, Paul Turner is checking on him. And Moxley doesn't give him any reprieve. Kills him with this lariat. Drops down the elbows. And then bends the foot of CM Punk. And hits him with one Death Rider. Follows with a second Death Rider. And John Moxley pins CM Punk in three minutes and nine seconds. They're asking, what happened? JR says, he got his ass whipped. That's what happened. And John Moxley gets a 
dominant win and they are telling the story that Punk came back too soon and he can't get up. He's down for a long time. A steal is out there as Moxley celebrates in the crowd. You had the great juxtaposition of Moxley holding up the belts. Everyone's going crazy. Punk is watching as he can't even put weight on the foot as he is carried to the back and probably not the outcome people were expecting in terms of uh, this type of a finish uh, and especially going as short as they did and um, I'm curious your opinion on how this came across in terms of a very, very ballsy idea. I mean, I think it came across as incre- as incredibly shocking and as uh, riveting as they'd hoped it would, as very clearly, you know, they sort of had set up, as you're saying, with the framing of, of, of each of them leaving uh, out of the different uh, entrances. I guess, I'm guessing, just back to the point about the kick, I guess, I'm guessing the point was like the pivot on the left foot. That's what, that's what I thought working. it was. Yeah, like, I didn't yeah. think it was necessarily a mistake. It was more so just like he torqued yeah. the foot. But r- regardless, I mean, that but, was kind of what they were saying. I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure your Twitter feed was exactly the same as mine, you know, when this happened with just like stunned reactions uh, across the board. You know, we all spent the entirety, you know, of kind of last week uh, debating the pros and cons of giving away your pay-per-view main event on television, you know, and to quote a great man, just when, you know, we thought we knew the answer, they changed the question. And there are a whole hell of a lot of questions coming out of here. Are we getting, you know, a rematch of some sort, you know, maybe with Punk putting up some sort of retirement stake, as some people have suggested? Uh, Is Punk still legitimately hurt? And does he need to go back on the shelf? Is he leaving the company? Is this, you know, was the booking of the, the booking of him to be uh, so weak and injured done as, you know, punishment for kind of stepping out of line or, you know, veering out of lane uh, on television last week? How does MJF factor into this, if at all? That was my sort of under guess as to where we were going, that something to do with this match was going to be used to reintroduce uh, MJF. Uh, and all of that seems to be entirely open right now. I think it was um, Kate on Twitter was sort of saying, and now here's the moment when we all sort of, you know, like to lie and pretend that we can see where this is going. And I, I, I can't. I don't see where this is going. Um, John, well, is, that, only- is that is that a good thing or a bad well, thing when you are selling yeah. a pay per view in te- in a week and a half? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's 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 a big question right there. Um, I, I mean, the, we saw just how much was set up for All Out uh, on today's show. And, you know, some of it was predictable and some of it less so, uh, you know, with the women's match and whatnot. I'm not sure if they believe that they are in a position where um, either, you know, the pay-per-view or the name will sort of sell itself at this point or if whatever else they are going to be doing uh, with, you know, presumably, you know, you have to imagine that there has to be a heavyweight title match on uh, that pay-per-view, or if they have such faith in uh, whatever comes next, whatever step we get in one week's time, presumably on Dynamite uh, in one week's time, you know, on, on then on four days notice to set up interest in, in the pay-per-view. I would say I was I was surprised in the sense that we went off the air without an indication of where the pay per view, mm-hmm. what the match will be. I would say you know, and in a lot of cases, I wouldn't look at it as you know life or death. But this is a Chicago pay per view. You have sold a lot of tickets, and you would go off this show and certainly be questioning if CM Punk is going to be on that on that show or not. It's hard mm-hmm. to fathom him not being on that show, but you could easily draw that conclusion, nor has any opponent been set up for John Moxley. So if you revert back to the idea of doing this rematch, um, 
do you feel this was enough of a shocking finish that it enhances if they announce the rematch for All Out? If there's some sort of stakes attached to it, either, you know, some particular stipulation, possibly including, you know, a, a punk retirement, as, as some people have talked about, then okay, maybe, right? Then the possibility of, you know, CM Punk's last match slash last AEW match in Chicago, uh, that does sort of have that uh, thing attached to it. it. It's so funny because, you know, heading into last week, I felt that the previous week's Dynamite had shown that this was a match that needed all, essentially no buildup, right? Nothing other than just, you know, Punk coming out and then Moxley just shoulder checking him on the walk out of the ring. I'm like, great, fine, perfect. That minimal amount of contact, you know, inset promos and or one face-to-face confrontation, boom, we're off to the races. Uh, and this is all going to be gravy uh, heading into Chicago. Um I mean, ambiguity in and of itself, if it is logical, you know, and it stems from this story that they are telling of Punk coming back too soon, you know, re-injuring his foot. And that was something that was, you know, feathered in throughout the rest of the night in other matches as well, right? That that was clearly the the narrative that we are getting from uh, this, right? That, you know, it wasn't as though CM Punk's name just vanished, uh, you know, the second he walked outside of the ring. Um so, you know, ambiguity in and of itself, not necessarily a bad thing, trying to do, you know, a more sports-based, yeah, this guy came back too early, just like Kenny Omega, uh, and unlike Kenny Omega, didn't have two friends to sort of help him out and back him up, uh, and, you know, fell down, uh, you know, far, far quicker than any of us could have expected. There's the possibility of that turning into a really interesting match. Um, I'm, you know, certainly AEW storytelling up until this point has earned enough credit with me that I have to imagine that if this is planned out uh, and is not just a, a very quick reactive kind of, you know, panicked reaction to uh, recent circumstances to do with contracts or to do with punk and the company or whatever it is, I have to imagine that there's at least some plan in place, some actual story that will come out of this. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The fact that we went off the air and none of us are really any the wiser uh, as to what the pay-per-view is going to look like has to raise some eyebrows. Yeah, I, I really cannot fathom this pay-per-view happening without, without, without Punk unless there is some extreme extenuating circumstance. And I would just would have wanted to make that clear enough because um, I would say if, if like you're someone on the fence about uh, bu- buying a ticket for this show, um, you know, I the lineup's r- really nice, but I think you're also kind of I, I would want to have my main event out. And oh, yeah. I, I, I do believe Tony Khan does not believe like we have to have our card locked in six weeks out. And he's brought up the fact like last year at All Out, it was, you know, it was pretty much, you know, a two week build for CM Punk. And they did Omega and Christian coming back really quickly after that Rampage match. I would just say that you need to me like a hell of a hook if you're going to wait till the go home TV on Wednesday yeah. um, to sell people on this and to go to the extreme of like punk putting his career on the line or something like that. Like that is, um, that's, that's pretty significant. Like I, I don't know. I'm kind of the jury's out on this one. It was certainly stunning. I think it grabbed people's attention. I like doing things that are different. It also, you know, the fact that a title match goes three minutes is not the worst idea yeah, to do yeah. every now and then to change things up. Um, like we talked about with, with some of like the G1 booking, it yeah. sort of educates your audience to uh, understand that things can come at any point in the match. It makes it that much more important. And it's 
it very much plays off of like finishes we see all the time in MMA where sometimes it's just <laughs> let's go all in on one guy. He gets 100% of this match and he comes off like Superman and it's the other guys like, wow, how is this guy going to come back from this humiliating defeat? And I don't think it was lost on people that this wipeout was done in Cleveland, the same city where Mickey Gall pretty much did the same thing to CM Punk. Ah, there we go. See, I was wondering if there was some sort of I, I was kind of getting a little bit of an MMA vibe off of it and specifically him limping off afterwards. I, I hadn't put two and two together uh, with one of his, what, two matches that he fought? Is that correct? Yeah, his, yeah, it was his first fight at UFC 203 with, with Mickey Gall, which was actually shorter than this, where he got, I, uh, he got choked out. I remember popping out of a friend's wedding uh, to like pull it up on a phone, popping out of the reception to sort of see what had happened with that fight. And I remember sort of thinking like, oh, I can almost see the entire match in one animated GIF. All right. So... That was uh, obviously the most newsworthy thing on the entire show, and uh, you you come out of this with obviously the the questions of where of where where this goes with with the rematch that I think people would still expect because I I do not know like outside of Punk, um, you know your your options to do such a quick build for I don't think I would want to waste an MJF on that, but. Um, you know, and it's not like there's this long list of uh, names out there that you could just hotshot and put in there on a, a couple days' notice. So I would, uh, until it's like uh, said otherwise, like I would, I would expect the rematch at at all out. Yeah, I mean, stips or not, I think that's still the biggest match that they can pull, and it's just the question is whether or not they can put a different spin on it after you know such a decisive loss that'll make it feel legitimate or ha- or have some extra stakes or a new angle to it. Do you think any of this is sort of a pressure that Tony Khan feels to keep that streak going of each pay-per-view outdoing the same years the last year? Like, this is the one where, I mean, it's going to take, I won't say a miracle, but it's going to take a significant uh, upswing to beat last year's All Out. Like, I think most see the streak ending here. Do you see him being reactionary to that and wanting to, like, believing that he's got this ace in the hole that is going to drive those buys up in that last week. I just don't see there being, I mean, I, I respect the fact that, you know, they've been touting it and, you know, like advertising that, that increase in, in buys, you know, as they should, I just don't see there being anything uh, with this roster, you know, barring the sudden signing of Dwayne Johnson himself, I do not see there being any stipulation, even a possible uh, punk retirement uh, that could possibly, you know, draw as many buys uh, as, you know, Punk's first match uh, did. That was just such an incredible, you know, moment. Uh, and and it got, you know, so many, you know, lapsed fans, you know, back into uh, the, the wrestling fold. Like, I respect the fact that, you know, maybe Tony's thinking, oh, well, I got to come within spitting distance of that or, or something like that or get 90% of those buys. I just, I don't see there being any way of beating that record. I, I think they're just going to have to let that one go. I'll tell you, now, now that you have introduced it on television and it's canon like that retirement stipulation it works a whole lot better where it's hangman page on the other side with the line of i am (laughs) going to save aew from you and who better than the guy that could rid aew of cm punk than hangman page like that's that's the story you have now introduced on your television that it's kind of that would be optimal in that sense but yeah worth noting the fact like again no no reference at all of hangman page on this show in in any form so after that so we suddenly it's like 
10 after 9, and we've got 50 minutes left in the show and one match to go. So everyone knew this trios match is going to kick ass <laughs> because they are going to have no restrictions. Shivani interviews Christian Cage. His arm is in a brace, and he responds to the challenge made by Jungle Boy, stating he extended the olive branch. And my, the personal things I said towards you were not from a place of malice. Yes, as, as he talked about uh, Jungle Boy burying his father. And he wanted to motivate Jungle Boy. And you think you're better and smarter than you really are. You'll never be as smart as me. I'm a living legend, and you tried to maim me. And he insults the people of Cleveland being average, whereas Christian is special. And Jungle Boy will never be in his league and accepts the challenge for the pay-per-view. So add it to the list, the growing list of pay-per-views. It's one that I think we all sort of anticipated coming. To be honest, I had difficulty focusing in on the particulars of Christian's verbiage. I was still just kind of shell-shocked by what we had seen there. Um, Yeah, you know, this, this... this is a feud that I think is kind of being built along, you know, more or less uh, as you might expect. Um, I, you know, still do think that there is, uh, you know, there's probably a fair bit, you know, we talk about the whole, like the schism between, you know, AEW originals and, um, you know, and outsiders, free agents, XWWE guys and whatnot, and how that's become this real storyline, you know, between, you know, punk and a hangman page and whatnot. And it sort of occurs to me that, um, the Jungle Boy is sort of one of the people who's maybe in, you know, not I wouldn't necessarily say a precarious, but whose spotlight has been somewhat reduced by that as one of your like top, you know, not just one of your original AEW people, but as one of AEW's prospects that was very clearly a long-term project, one of the pillars, etc. Um, you know, and we've seen him, you know, do pretty well in terms of the the, the tag reign, uh, you know, but he still has a fair ways to go, I think, in terms of promo work, in terms of the building up uh, of, of feuds, uh, and the fact that, you know, he's been paired with somebody like Christian, uh, who is going, you know, to sort of such extreme lengths in terms of trying to build this up to be a blood feud, you know, is probably indicative of things. So, you know, um, I think there's probably a fair bit of pressure, you know, on Jack Perry to, to really deliver in this match and to sort of blow this feud off. It's a very, very big match for him. And uh, we'll, we'll go over the whole lineup at the end. Like this is going to be a pretty, pretty crammed uh, pay-per-view as well. Ricky Starks comes out. He hasn't been in a great mood lately. He thought that Hobbs was his friend, his partner in crime, and he would call him weekly when Starks broke his neck and brought up Hobbs being a background player years ago for Britt Baker back at Daly's place, and I gave you a seat at my table and made sure the spotlight was big enough for both of us. He considered Hobbs a friend, but now he's a snake, and where he's from, they cut the heads off of snakes and makes the challenge for All Out, which was uh, just added to the graphic. Hobbs didn't even get the chance to respond like Christian, it's just you're booked for the pay per view. Two things I loved about this: the the New Jack City reference. You know, sit That's your right. five, yes. sit your five dollar ass down before I make change. Uh, and also, just the way that the like the the ugly crying that sort of happened when Starks was talking about the fact that Hobbs went after his neck after you know this guy had been phoning him uh, after he broke that same neck. That was just great. I mean, you know, every, it was every a little time- detail that we didn't focus on when the turn came, but it was great that it was like brought up here and focused on that. Like this, it wasn't just you turning on me. It was you going after like my known weakness. 
Yes. There's, I, I say this every time I'm on any post show pretty much, I feel, but there's, there is so, you know, the sky is the limit for, for, for Ricky Starks as a baby face, as I think promos like this prove. Uh, you know, and I, I still think there's, you know, a hell of a lot of upside in Hobbs as well, but, you know, uh, yeah, just, you know, if you haven't yet, you know, sink a whole bunch of stock into Ricky Starks. So they plug that next we're going to hear from John Moxley. I, I really like the way that they handled this title match. It was like this shocking finish and they showed replays of it. And it was like, we're reacting to it, which is something that AEW doesn't do a whole lot of. It's always next segment, next, next, next. And we're moving, moving. This was a chance. Hey, something big happened. Let's revisit it because it was on everyone's mind. You even stated like in this promo, you were still like shell shocked from this. So they were kind of on top of this and Moxley is in the back. He's like, Dude, this guy is just totally in the zone. He says that uh, best in the world, my ass, and writes off the people that doubted him. They're the same people that wrote my obituary, a a line like right out of uh, Daniel Cormier from UFC 278 on Saturday night with uh, Leon Edwards. And he is the the answer to every problem in this industry is John Moxley. And no one, there's no one like him in pro wrestling. I'm not just some guy. I'm the guy in this industry. There are no limitations. I don't follow any rules. My time, everyone talks about their time. When is their time? My time is right now. Um, this didn't set up any pay-per-view, but man, was this a great promo. It was a fantastic promo. Unlike Ricky Starks, uh, as plenty of people were noting on Twitter, though, uh, John Moxley was not citing his sources. And, you know, I think a lot of people were drawn to the fact that there seemed to be these direct, you know, Roman and Cena references uh, in that. I, I have to imagine that was intentional, maybe just to stir the pot a little bit there. But, but yeah, boy, howdy. Uh, you know, this is you know, this is what John Moxley excels at, these sorts of promos. I mean, I, I feel as though we didn't talk about it, but there was, you know, there was something of a heelish, you know, some booze, you know, directed punk's way uh, coming out there. And I think it heading into that match, it was difficult to not sort of want to root uh, for Moxley in that match as somebody who had been sort of put aside, uh, as somebody who, you know, held the belt uh, during, you know, the whole lockdown period, right? In that kind of, you know, less than glamorous period in, in company history, only for somebody like Punk to kind of come waltzing back uh, to, to pro wrestling and everything. Factor in, you know, the way in which his comeback story after, you know, going to rehab and everything, I think really won people over as well. Uh, and regardless of what exactly is happening, you know, with Punk Page and all these other, you know, kind of big bigger meta and business level questions there just as a like face of the company champion who's going to hold the belt and cut promos like this moxley's firing on all cylinders yeah this was very much like the the japanese mentality when someone would come back from from a big injury like logically should not should not be able to go toe-to-toe with your your interim or world champion so then we got the big rundown Friday night on Rampage, uh, which is being taped as we speak. House of Black taking on John Silver, Alex Reynolds, and mystery partner in the Trios Tournament. Sammy Guevara and Ty Mello against Ruby Soho and Ortiz. Wardlow against Ryan Nemeth for the TNT title. Claudio versus Dustin Rhodes for the ROH title. And we will hear from TBS champion Jade Cargill. I would imagine setting up the Athena match uh, for the pay-per-view as well. Is Preston Vance injured or something like that? Is that what the TBA is there on the Dark Art Yeah, order? so they, they had explained that Evil Uno is off in Germany yeah, uh, yeah. Where, where they were doing the gaming thing. But yeah, it was they didn't add Preston Vance. So unless he is uh, 
I, I don't know. I don't know what is going on uh, with him because he was just on. He was just on Dark this week, right? Yeah, he was on Dark. Uh, you know, as part of a trios match, they had their they new the trio pl- pendulum bomb thing. You know, he was on. Uh, you know, Vance was there on being the elite, talking up uh, the, the trios match and everything like that. It all seemed. Uh, to be going ahead that way. I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of that. I'm sure they will explain it because that's that's the logical uh, question you would have about uh, 10. Dynamite next week. They just announced uh, Brian Danielson against Jake Hager and Tony Storm and Hikaru Shida against Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Um, yeah, we'll do we'll do the whole update for All Out at the end. They recapped Kenny Omega's return last week, and that takes us to the main event, pretty much the last half hour of the show. Will Ospreay and Aussie Open against Death Triangle. One of the most incredible weeks for any performer ever in Will Ospreay when you, uh, if you go back in this eight-day period, beginning with Juice Robinson and concluding with this. And there's also the, uh, you know, the Mike Bailey and the Ricky Knight uh matches that I don't think anybody who wasn't in those buildings uh, has seen yet, but I mean, we're all looking forward to seeing uh, whenever Rev, Rev Pro releases this footage. I mean, yeah, just somebody who's just absolutely on fire right now. Uh, you know, you I, I don't I know talk- if I want to see someone try and top this this week. Like, I, I don't know if this, this should be like kind of the, um, the, the bar that that is set because that, that's an ungodly precedent that, that he has set with, with these, with these matches that he has done. And I imagine uh, the speedball Ricky Knight Jr. matches are going to be um, right at that caliber as well. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this, you know, uh, when we were winding down the G1 last week, but you know, there's just not really a conversation to be had as far as I'm concerned about who the wrestler of the year is. Uh, Just when you look at, just even sticking to his singles matches, uh, the variety of companies, the different continents uh, that he has wrestled on, the different yeah. styles, the different sorts of stories. Uh, you know, you compare, you know, that kind of like, you know, gutsy kind of like, you know, underdog, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel match that he worked with Okada versus the absolutely evil uh, match that he worked with Oku to start the year. And it's just... You know, he's, he's been everywhere. He's been all things to all people. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, we, we have just a few months left in the year, but the conversation's effectively over as far as I'm concerned. Uh, best friends are scouting in the crowd. Don Callis is out on commentary and because the winners will be taking on the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Uh, Osprey and Phoenix begin, and this is just killer right off the bat. Uh, Jim Ross is constantly imploring AEW to sign Will Osprey. So maybe, uh, maybe Mega needs to CC Jim Ross. Talking on, about on, contract on, on yeah. that email. Um, they get the heat on Osprey, uh, all throughout the picture in picture. There were three breaks, uh, during this match, but I mean, in a half hour of time, television time that's you know you're going to be at the mercy of these commercial breaks but it was all picture in picture uh he hit that beautiful sky twister press onto pack and penta on the floor uh, it would be impossible to recap all, all the spots in this match uh, mark davis is playing around with phoenix and then aussie opener delivering forearms but phoenix ducks so they crash their forearms into one another uh, we see penta uh flip from a casadora into a crucifix bomb onto kyle fletcher and then davis stops the fear factor osprey's in with the spinning roundhouse kick and then pat comes in with osprey and this is the big showdown involving these two and osprey holds on to the ropes preventing a deadlift german so phoenix tight ropes across the top pk sending osprey into the bridging german uh, this is when don Callis brought up um the time kenny omega sold out the tokyo dome with over eighty thousand people 
Uh, all right. Well, that, that was the year Russell came. You might have missed this. It was when they took Russell, they took the Tokyo Dome and stacked it on top of the Tokyo Dome, creating two domes and and sold out both. That's why the ceiling looked so high that year. I, I you know, New Japan should have mentioned something about that. That's it. Uh, we got a series of Ranas. Osprey and Pack are going face to face on their knees. Crowd's going wild here. Osprey pops up from a snap German and just hit an incredible os cutter. Avalanche brainbuster by Pack, and then we go to the third break. And we come back, Phoenix returns, lands a spin kick to Will on the turnbuckle, and hits a super Hurricane Rana. Osprey lands on his feet. This was incredible. Rolling cutter by Phoenix, dives from the Lucha Brothers, and then Pack goes for the Black Arrow, landing on Osprey's knees. Uh, Stormbreaker gets reversed into a snap Rana. Just everyone firing here on all cylinders. All six are in. We see a Destroyer from Penta to Fletcher, and then Pack is on the top ring post. He hits a moonsault to the floor right in front of who we assume is Kip Sabian with the box over his head. Because, yes, folks, if you had been waiting over the past year, when is the Kip Sabian box over his head? When is it going to pay off? If you had August 24th in the pool, <laughs> today today was your lucky day because Pac goes up to and takes the box off, but it is not Kip Sabian. It's it's somebody else. And boom, Kip Sabian attacks Pac. And unlike uh, Dexter Loomis kidnapping someone, this did not cause a DQ. And Excalibur explains that... Uh, the referee was dealing with everyone else. He didn't see any of this. The crowd is chanting Kip as he takes out Pack, And from there, we see a three-on-one with Ozzy Open and, Os- and uh, Osprey uh, with Phoenix in the ring, leading to a super Os cutter. And Osprey pins him in 25 minutes and 21 seconds. And the show ends with Omega and the Bucks coming out. So we will get... Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay in the same ring next week in the trios tournament. Omega was taped up like a mummy and Ospreay's inviting him into the ring, but Don Callis prevented Omega from entering the ring. So interesting that we are doing pretty much the same story of Omega and Punk that both have come back too early yes. from injury and uh, they are, they are continuing this, but that is a big trios match for next week. But uh, I mean, what, what can you say about this, this main event? I mean, was, was the scotch flowing? <laughs> Pretty, very, very heavily, very heavily at this point, uh, late into the, late into the card. And, and to your point earlier, exactly. As soon as, you know, the, the, the Moxley Punk match goes so slow or goes so short, rather, you know how much time is being given to this. And yeah, they, uh, look, it's, it's these six guys, you know, it's, we know what they're capable of. Uh, they, they maximize this to the fullest. There was that, I mean, you know, I've just got a little checklist of things here. There was that incredible double two poison Rana's Two double poison run is happening simultaneously between that Pac and Osprey pulled off on the respective other two of the other teams to set up that stare down. Um, there was that. Pac somehow pulling uh, a, a Rana reversal out of a Stormbreaker uh, attempt. There was that was incredible. Uh, there was just just so much uh, here. You know the the the, the 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 Osprey. You know, kind of Osprey Abushi callback spot. Um, just everything uh, out of this was just incredibly hard hitting. Um, I have to admit, uh, I am a little bit surprised uh, in terms of um, who ultimately won this. I assumed that you know it was going to be the good, the bad, and the bastard that uh, Death Triangle. We're going to be taking this one, if only because uh, I was thinking that you would want to sort of save or protect, um, you know, the possibility of Omega and Osprey meeting up, saving that up uh, for an actual singles match. Uh, and I noticed afterwards, actually, as, as things were winding down, 
Excalibur almost never, almost never meant directly mentions PWG, but you felt like he just had to sort of say like, yeah, that's right. I, uh, I had the opportunity of calling their one and only singles match between, you know, these two guys seven years ago in pro wrestling gorilla. Like he never, never rests on his laurels or wants to sort of humble brag uh, about his role in the industry. But I, I felt like he, it was a well-deserved pull for him uh, at that particular moment. But yeah, this, yeah, this poor guy, match. they are doing the craziest end sequence and he had to work in a BattleBots ad read. <laughs> it was just, I mean, the guy is just, I mean, you, you can feed him anything and he will get it across. It's its incredible. Like, I don't know how you work in anything during some of these sequences. But yeah, this was, it was a phenomenal main event. Certainly uh, go out of your way to check it out. And they got a ton of time. They dedicated the whole last half hour. And I would say, unlike in, like in the buildup to Forbidden Door, where I just felt like the Will Ospreay's first, matches with AEW um to me like it's it's a really big deal and they didn't feel like them yep. this one it, it felt like this almost felt like the unofficial Will Ospreay debut in AEW as opposed to the which were fine matches but I wouldn't say they were built up in a memorable fashion or had that kind of um lasting impact that this one I think will and I mean, I hope that, you know, the timing of it works out well also in terms of just the amount of buzz that, you know, his final, the final week of his G1 uh, would have generated as well. You know, whereas, uh, you know, it's possible that, I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure at this point, you know, what percentage of the average AEW viewer is or is not familiar with Osprey. But I think it's the easiest thing in the world, you know, to actually communicate who he is. Uh, and, you know, one of the best ways of doing that is just giving him a whole half hour, uh, you know, of, of primetime uh, American television. Yes, so I'm sure uh, Jim Ross was uh, quickly uh, burning up that New Japan contract as he was uh, going to recruit Will Ospreay for uh, for a full time uh, con- contract afterwards. Uh, but that that concluded the show. So you went off, um, yeah, w- without the knowledge of your title match for the pay per view, and they were really selling you on the conflict or the the involvement that you will get next week with uh, Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay mm-hmm. in, in a ring together as as the big selling feature for. Um, I, I guess that'll be on on the. Did they say for sure that's on the Wednesday? I assume it is. That the witches, sorry. That the trios match is on the Wednesday next week for I Dynamite. I believe they did. I believe they did. That's yeah. That's not on Dynamite. Yeah. So there you go. Three nights in Chicago next week for AEW. Uh, this this was certainly um, very newsworthy edition of, of Dynamite. Um, what did you think of the show overall? There's certainly many many different uh, takes to have. I guess. I mean. Those larger questions that you know we're talking about in terms of the 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 storyline and the ultimate path for the heavyweight championship for CM Punk uh, are ultimately going to be, I think, the, the main takeaway here. But you know, given that, as I was saying before, you know, I was having difficulty focusing uh, on Christian and and to a degree uh, Starks, you know, in, in the segments afterwards. That last half hour absolutely grabbed it back, uh, and I do think that if there is, you know, to our point at the beginning uh, of this conversation, you know, if there is. Uh, some sort of question of, oh, hey, you know, is 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 WWE a little bit more worker friendly or whatever it is? I don't think you could have had a better advertisement or a better mission statement for the idea that, yeah, fine, Triple H is in charge and, you know, Ricochet is going to get a push now and everything like that. But that AEW still is the actual, you know, work rate in-ring wrestling company than that last match. And I don't know if that was intentional on their part to sort of have that as something of kind of a defining, you know, this is what AEW is all about uh, sort of point that they wanted to do in terms of laying out the show. But the fact that you end with that and the fact that you ended with this stare down between two wrestlers who, I mean, 
Omega has no real affinity or no real lasting connection with the WWE, but basically, you know, a entirely sort of uh, unique to the New Japan and AEW crossover uh, match that you are looking at and that that is another one of the big things that's being built out of here. That, I think, was also a smart thing to do at the same time uh, as you were going to be having to deal with all of this ambiguity about Punk. So a very, very strong note to end on. I'm going to steal from the WrestleNomics weekly game that they put out of guessing what the 18 to 49 demo is going to be for this show. So to put into context, the last four episodes for Dynamite, 0.33, 0.32, 0.33, which was the Jericho Moxley match, and last week a 0.30. So tonight, with all of the hype for Moxley and Punk, what do you see this show doing in the demo? I'm not sure if they're getting to a 0.4 or not. I, I would say that would be yeah. that would be beyond expectations. It's I'll go point three seven. Point three seven. All right. I think I think it's gonna be I'm gonna I'm gonna go three six. That that's okay. my that's my prediction. So I think you you and I are fairly fairly in line here. But there was you know, if we were talking the beginning of the year, like this you would think like slam dunk, this is going to be a a point four. But mm-hmm. we'll see. That'll mm-hmm. be a very, very uh focused upon and scrutinized number uh coming out uh of tonight's show. We have a few super chats here, so let's uh go to Hanzi. With all these interim titles vacant, vacant is never gonna sign with this company. Good to see Bruce Lord recapping with Pollock. There you go. Hanzi, hey, Hanzi. all in on on Bruce Lord. Who are we representing tonight, Bruce? Oh, uh, author and Punisher, a uh, American uh, nominally industrial band, but a band that crosses over with uh, kind of doom and sludge metal uh, a little bit. The T-shirt actually displays the uh, literal instruments and triggers that the that the dude uh, behind the project has built. He's an actual engineer, so he has built his own very complex kind of pneumatic uh, pieces of, of mechanical engineering that are used to actually manufacture uh, the music. So yeah, so so shout out to Tristan Sean and and author and Punisher. If Bruce didn't explain that, I was I was going to. Uh, <laughs> next up is uh, John. AEW is very specific with their language, like the Darby Best in the World promo. Mock said, my time is now twice. Is Cena in for All Out? And that's why they <laughs> shifted the unification to tonight. Uh, I do not think that... Uh, thank you for the super chat, John. I, I do not think that John Moxley and John Cena are headlining All Out. That's that, my, that pre- might that's my that, prediction. That might end up beating you know the, the previous All Out record, though. So, hey, if, if there's a way... Yes, that would be um, that 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 would certainly be a way to top two hundred five thousand <laughs> buys. All right, let's go to uh, the forum here. I will uh, I will edit some of these down. Uh, Benjamin from Toronto. That was not the finish any of us expected for the Moxley Punk match. Moxley, actually, that's a good question. What what were you expecting, Bruce, from from this match tonight? I was sort of expecting uh, either a disputed finish, uh, you know coming out of some sort of, you know, double pin or something like that, or possibly uh, some NJF shenanigans uh, to get the title onto Mox and to then spin off. Because, uh, I mean, ultimately, going back to the last time we saw MJF, my vision for this was ultimately effectively sort of a double a, a double turn for both Punk uh, and, um, and and MJF, with them sort of playing, you know, uh, with, with Punk sort of uh, occupying the Cena role uh, and MJF occupying the Punk role uh, coming out of that. So, again, I've been... I've I've been really holding on to a lot of faith in, in the paying off of all of the MJF stuff, but I don't know. It's tough to see uh, how he's going to be reintroduced at this point. Uh, so that, that was my initial prediction. Uh, Benjamin writes, I love AEW. I love that it exists and there are more options for talent to get on TV and work. But Tony Khan seems to have 
a cognitive bias that impedes him from booking women fairly. Thunder Rose is the AEW champion. She suffered an injury that will prevent her from competing and defending it all out, and they're going to crown an interim champion. This announcement happened in a 30-second backstage promo, and he compares this to Punk getting... Uh, getting the chance to deliver a similar announcement and do so in the ring in front of the crowd with an entrance and pop. Yes, Punk is more popular than Rosa, but they could have given her the respect of letting her address the house in the ring. Ricky Starks is going to be a big deal. I feel like both he and Hobbs will come out of this feud as bigger stars and says, thanks, Bruce Lord, for introducing me to Ulterior. I I love a good body batch of bangers. They got some. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. her niece. Do you want me to- from- yeah. Do you have any thoughts sure. on the the Thunder Rosa aspect it, it, of this question? It, it's a good point. It's a, it is a good point. I don't. I mean, obviously, CM Punk is you know the, the biggest star in the company and is going to be given uh, you know the mic whenever they can afford to do so. Uh, but yeah, given that, I think. As far as I know, I hadn't seen any uh, talk of Rosa being injured. I think a couple of people in the chat were mentioning that it was a somewhat known thing. Uh, I hadn't heard anything about it. It came as a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, so, yeah, having her at least come out uh, and announce it uh, and then maybe having that somehow lead into uh, the, the women's match or something like that might have been a way to do this. To Yeah, to give that belt a, a little bit more shine. Yeah, just looking at this, her last match looks to have been August 10th. Uh, which was a dark elevation uh, taping where she teamed with Hikaru Shida against Amy Sakura, Marina Shafir, and Nyla Rose. So that was that was the week they were in uh, Minneapolis. Mm. All right, we continue on with uh, with her niece from New York City, uh, Jericho and Danielson Garcia on a pole match at All Out. That's his suggestion. Wardlow went from one hundred to zero pretty quickly since the MJF program and winning the TNT title. The summer of Punk turned into the summer of Mox, and I'm very glad he has the full title now. That look that Punk gave Moxley at the end has to mean Punk is returning at the end of All Out to take out the champion and turn heel. One week build for the main event at All Out. Osprey just picking up where he left off at the G1. Thank you for the G1 review shows and recommending his matches. Lastly, you guys are not letting Way get started slowly, having him join you for a five to six hour show next Sunday. We just had eight match announcements with more to come since Moxley doesn't have a match yet. Oh, yeah, it's it's going to be a marathon that day when you have Worlds Collide <laughs> and then this pay-per-view, which might be five hours for, for, for all we know. Saeed from Vancouver. I agree with Benjamin. Them announcing Thunder Rosa is injured in a 30-second backstage segment was disrespectful. At least do it in the ring. For the Fatal 4-Way, I can see Storm getting the belt back before the rematch with Rosa when she gets back. All Out is really shaping up to be a fun card. The trios match is absolutely a match of the year contender for me. Punk and Moxley was a surprise not being in the main event, but maybe the the finish explains it. Not sure if this is a work or not, but my friend that was near the front row heard the doctor tell the referee to end the match before Moxley went after Punk and put the match away. I think that was more so um, uh, every everyone contributing to to the story <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, it, it was well done i think like you know again to your point about you know kind of looking and feeling like a ufc sort of you know flash knockout or something like that like you know we've seen them do this before right like the danielson you know injury angle getting his, his leg trapped and whatnot uh i think AEW's generally done a good job of of working storyline injuries in which you know i mean hey reactions like this are part of what they're shooting for Cody from Maine. Great promos and phenomenal main event that sets the stage stage for some very exciting matches. Uh, Punk versus uh, and Punk versus Moxley, which I put right up there with the shock of Lesnar Goldberg and Brody Lee versus Cody Rhodes. They set the stage well by starting it at the halfway point of the show and mentioning that the match could go long. 
only to go with the story of Punk coming back too soon and losing in three minutes. Not something you could pull off as a pay-per-view main event or had you started the match at 9.55 p.m. It's an interesting enough story without the potential backstage drama being legitimate. But with that being a factor in everyone's mind, it takes all of this to the next level. The questions of whether or not this was always the plan, is this Punk's punishment, etc. Regardless, it made for an incredibly shocking moment and cemented this as a dynamite that will be remembered and talked about for a long time. Brian from New Jersey, a wild show with some unexpected and very unexpected turns to build all out. My biggest negatives about it came towards the end with Kip Sabian being crammed into the main event and no indication given to us about what the world title match will be at all out. Other than that, I enjoyed Death Triangle against the United Empire more than last week's elite main event. I think Ricky Starks is cutting stronger babyface promos than Jungle Boy and Punk versus Moxley threw me for a loop, but I wasn't disappointed in it. I thought it played out smartly, struck me as hopefully the first chapter in a longer story, and I'm happy to see John Moxley firmly take his place on top. He's the most protected guy in wrestling next to Roman Reigns. I would say, Bruce, that in all of this, when you look at John Moxley kind of being put into this interim title role and that, as you mentioned earlier, the idea that he very well could have just been in place that, okay, he's the guy holding the belt till Punk gets back. And instead, it's like this guy, to me, is having this incredible run this year. Yeah. I would say that people are going to put this title run as the more memorable one than, than his first title run that was happening with the handicap of the pandemic. It, it's happening in front of live crowds. Again, as I referred to before, it's buoyed by, I think, the fact that everybody is just, you know, <laughs> rooting for, you know, Jonathan Good, the person here, you know, to come out of recovery and, and, and excel uh, and succeed, you know, at, at that sort of a level here. So, yeah, no, I think that, you know, it, it might have been kind of a, well, he's the guy who's around to sort of take this interim belt, but he's absolutely made the most of it. And and to Brian's point there, speaking of making the most of it, I don't know that Kip Sabian could have asked for a more high profile uh, spot to be pulled back out and you know as somebody who's been watching him just you know loaf around on dark for the last you know year i was legitimately wondering if we'd ever actually see him you know on main television again uh so the fact that you know he's he's jumping right into a program with Pac, you know, uh, you know, his, his face was right up there with Ospreys and everybody else's in an incredibly hot match uh, i don't think he's complaining about that being uh, the moment for his reintroduction Andrew from St. John, when they announced the title match for the middle of the show, I thought they were telegraphing a shenanigans finish, but instead they went with another three-minute nightmare for Punk in Chicago. This was a wild, exciting finish to a show, except that it was business as usual after. I thought they may deliver a big angle at the end to top it even further, but they didn't. Rosa is one of my favorite wrestlers, and I hope she comes back strong. I think they really bungled the announcement of the replacement four-way, as when Baker and King got into the ring, they presented Storm's opponent as an uncertainty on commentary, but then flashed the graphic on screen. Not interested in seeing Will Ospreay at all. Love what they're doing with Daniel Garcia. He's way bigger now than he would have been if they simply put him in the Blackpool Combat Club to start, and he gives the show a four out of five. Uh, we will check in with MJ. People will love or hate the different approach AEW is taking to booking pay-per-views. It's all in the journey, though, right? If fans want slow but telegraphed stories made for five-minute video packages, that product exists. <laughs> AEW has proven you can splatter a lot of stuff together to produce unique and exciting shows and ultimately have matches people want to see on pay-per-view. It's a product that disrupted status quo and has done things differently from having a first pay-per-view with no TV to having no main event yet for this year's All Out. I <laughs> I think what rubs people the wrong way about some of this is how Star 
starkly different what AEW has been doing is. Consider the Forbidden Door build and the result of that show. The ROH pay-per-view uh, was a commercial success after everyone wondered why it was being given time on television. Because it's different doesn't mean it's not working, and that's what a disruptive does. It's all in the journey. Tonight's journey featured a unique TV title match and Will Ospreay sharing a ring for 20 minutes with Pac and the Lucha Brothers before a hyped stare down with Kenny Omega. So there you go. Um, anyway, want to leave feedback for Bruce. Always enjoy when he's on. So there you oh, go. The, the fan base is just growing, Bruce. <laughs> Cheers, MJ. I mean, that, that, that's, you know, that's probably because, you know, we, we gave him the postmarks pop, uh, you know, a few a few months ago. But thanks very much for that, MJ. And yeah, uh, I, I generally agree with that, right? I think, uh, you know, he's making a point kind of similar to the one that I was making earlier, which is that the goodwill that they've earned with the fan base and the general, you know, kind of way that, you know, some of the times when they have been making what seem to be kind of uh, unpredictable or questioning uh, questionable booking decisions have generally panned out to you know to good p- to good pay per view buys and to good pay per view product uh, at the end of the day. So you know it, it's a weird one. It's a weird one that we've been thrown here for sure. Uh, but you know they've they've proven that they can pull themselves out of tailspins that are maybe nearly as strange uh, as this one. I think that's a great point. That in all of this, whatever. This match is going to turn out to be, I think you are going to have that audience. I, I, I would venture to guess that anyone listening to this show and, you know, probably, probably any regular AEW pay-per-view buyer that was buying the show 24 hours ago is still planning on buying this pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is just the question of what to what degree there are, you know, casual, you know, viewers who are maybe brought yeah. back in who bought all out last year just for the sake of CM Punk's return, but then maybe didn't stick around to watch Dynamite uh, over the next year or so. Yeah, and if this kind of a three minute match enhances people's, you know, desire to want to see the match again. Um, yeah, yeah, it's so, a different so type of storytelling. Yeah. Robbie from London, what a great dynamite. The absolute result I wanted from that world title match, I never thought I'd get. A killer main event, and as the biggest of Impact fans, I absolutely marked out edge of my seat and hands on my head for the Motor City Machine Guns reveal. Can't wait to see them at All Out. Jordan in the Bronx, it's great that AEW is not afraid to make statements. When there's a match between two top guys on TV, fans have been conditioned to the WWE booking of doing a non-finish to get to the next part of that feud. People predicted a run-in from MJF or Hangman or something to necessitate adding a stipulation for a rematch. Moxley's squashing Punk was the, was the furthest from anyone's mind. Completely shocking result and... As of the end of the show, there's no world title match booked or any indication of who's next. This unpredictability is great as I'm able to turn my brain off and enjoy the ride. I'm sorry, but just reading that, it's like, I don't know what I'm paying for. This is awesome. <laughs> so anyway, yes, uh, the, the plot thickens. Thunder Rosa being hurt is another bummer and a tough hand dealt to the women's division after Statlander's injury. On the plus side, it's great to see Sheeta back in focus. A great point, yeah, that this comes in concert with Chris Statlander yeah. being, being hurt on, on top of things. So, again, I'm hoping this is not a significant injury uh, for, for Thunder Rosa and that it's it's only a, a short time back. But for Chris Statlander, like a torn ACL right after recovering from that, it's just terrible. Terrible timing, and I, I really liked, I mean, I've always liked Statlander, but I really liked the kind of the relaunched, more serious, you know, slightly harder edged version of her that we had seen, Uh, you know, obviously mixing it up, you know, with the baddies in the short term. But I think, you know, I was sort of talking about the question of whether or not, you know, can she be the actual first real contender uh, to beat Jade, who would actually seem like they had a real chance at doing it. Uh, So, yeah, it, it really, really, really sucks for her if we're talking about, you know, the difficulties that the AEW women's division has faced, both in terms of, you know, injuries and booking. 
Two more here. Kate from Montreal writes, easily one of the most chaotic episodes of Dynamite ever. I have no idea what's going on with Punk and Mox. Thunder Rosa getting injured is a curveball. The Machine Guns versus FDR has to have been on a number of wish lists that people never thought they were getting. The main event was tremendous. If Moxley versus Punk ran shorter than anticipated, which given that the way they appeared to be stretching in the back half seems possible, it also means that they likely had to fill more time than they originally planned. Unreal either way. Fuck physics. Give me more like this. <laughs> and the last word of the night from Alex Patel. That was like a punk UFC match. He, I mean, you know, maybe he was the doctor, you know, who was like whispering and sort of saying like, no, 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 his foot's injured. You know, we got we got to we got to throw in the towel here and stop it. You know, Alex was able to diagnose that. So um, I said that we, we'd quickly uh, look at it. So this is the updated lineup for the pay-per-view. We have uh, eight matches here. So the trio's final uh, for the championship. Wardlow and FTR against Jay Lethal and the Machine Guns. The four-way for the interim women's title. The casino ladder match, which will probably be all the uh, all the spare pieces uh, into that one. Chris Jericho against Brian Danielson. Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland against the acclaimed for the tag titles. Christian Cage against Jungle Boy. And Ricky Starks against powerhouse Hobbs and they have not done any follow-up on that angle when Eddie Kingston said that he had gotten the contract or that the contract had been issued for him and Sammy Guevara that's right I mean there was you know so many no follow-up on that so many damn moving pieces uh at at this point uh we are getting uh, I think um Tay and Sammy are in a mixed tag uh is that rampage that's happening right now yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so maybe we get something, uh, some word coming out of that as far as Kingston's direction goes. Cause yeah, he was kind of somebody who was conspicuous by his absence. But as we've, you know, as you and so many other people have talked about, like it's a jammed enough roster and, you know, so wrestling forward that not everybody is going to be appearing, uh, on every single episode. Do you have any guesses? I mean, generally, you know, the, the kind of the Joker spot in the casino battle royale, uh, or ca- casino ladder match has, has been left. Oh, no, no, wait. But this is, this is the ladder match. So this isn't. This isn't the deck. We don't get. We don't have the Joker spot here. Any any predictions as to maybe somebody returning, coming back from an injury, or making a debut? Uh, who do we have that are that are the key ones that are injured? Like you, you have Cole and like Red Dragon that have kind of yeah. been uh, at the sidelines. I don't know if that really makes sense to uh, put someone of like the caliber of a of an Adam Cole there. Um, geez, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I haven't given it much thought yeah. at all. Anyone that comes to mind for you? No, nobody in particular, really, except for possibly you know Cole uh, was the one quest was the one thought uh, that I had. But again, I don't know if we really have a sense of how long uh, their injuries are going to be. Uh, you know, it's also one of those cases I think where uh, you know uh, I think I think the the sheer number of you know including some you know technically not not yet signed but you know talents that are starting to show up uh much more frequently you know on dark and some of the other shoulder program you know your trust busters and things like that it is a very very jammed out uh roster right now uh and so you know after i mean after the big claudio reveal i don't know if we're going to be getting uh you know any more like you know patented tk surprises uh in the short to medium future yeah, I mean they they have really been a staple of AEW, but at at, at the same time, like I, I'd be more than fine of just you know pick someone on your roster that it's like we see like this is going to be our six month project and let's yeah. let's go that way. Like the the idea of Daniel Garcia winning that casino that, uh, that casino ladder match and you come out of it, it's like that 
sends him into that Buffalo show. It's like he has a reason to be on that show, cut a yeah. big promo. Um, like, I-, I love that idea of like, okay, Daniel Garcia, he doesn't have to challenge for the title this week, but now we are putting him in that position where, you know, it's, it's someone that already we've gotten behind, has that momentum, and this pushes him that much mm-hmm. further, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to just somebody that's going to be like a Dante Martin, who nothing against, but it's the idea, okay, he wins and he gets a, a fun match on television, but we're only going so far, at least currently with him. And if you're putting Garcia in that spot of a sort of an open-ended or a oh, one month from now, a two month from now sort of challenge, you can wring so much more out of the the path and the road between you know the sports entertainer and the wrestler uh, you know life choices uh, that he has lying in front of them. So yeah, it would make, that would make a good deal of sense, I think. All right. Well, uh, is your head spinning after? Doing the whole uh, dynamite routine tonight, Bruce. I, I I feel entirely, you know, just blown away and and exhausted. I'm I'm having difficulty remembering uh, that I technically did see, uh, you know, a a Jay Lethal um, and Dax match. Uh, I I think I think I might have seen Billy Gunn wrestle a match a, a while ago as well. I, I I couldn't really tell you at this point, though, John. Well, Bruce, uh, thank you so much for for jumping on board and all of your great work uh, throughout the G1. Uh, Bruce was doing uh, not just podcasts, but also reports on the site with Mark Buckledy and a great breakdown, a report card for all 28 participants in the G1 that you can go uh, check out in our G1 section, uh, providing letter grades for everybody, how they performed throughout the G1. So uh, really great stuff, uh, Bruce, and we appreciate uh, all the time that you have uh, provided coming on with us. Oh, thanks so much. It's been great to come onto the podcasts and everything uh, and, and talk about, you know, AEW or New Japan. But but yeah, I, I, I sunk a good amount of time uh, into that report card piece there. Uh, really enjoyed writing it, really enjoyed formalizing my thoughts uh, at the end of, you know, a pretty, I think, you know, kind of noteworthy uh, G1, even if it wasn't the most heavily hyped or, or buzzed about. Uh, and, and of all things, uh, I got some comments from Yujiro lovers in response to this, sort of asking how I could possibly denigrate uh, the, the Tokyo pimps with the... The, uh, with, with the letter grade that I gave him. But but there it is. It, it's one person's opinion. It's it's worth that and not a lot more. Uh, but if you are interested uh, in kind of filling in some blanks in what happened in the G1, uh, yeah, that report card is up on Post Wrestling right now. And my last question for you, if I want to hear more about author and Punisher, what would be the best podcast for me to listen to? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you're the sort of person uh, who's into author and Punisher or Ulterior, who also got mentioned uh, in the feedback, or uh, what we like to call darker alternatives, uh, my main uh, online hustle is idieudie.com, a website that I run with my good friend uh, Alex Kennedy, and the accompanying We Have a Technical Podcast, which deals with goth music. Music, industrial music, dark wave music, EBM, stuff of that genre. Uh, we try to keep it pretty conversational, pretty friendly, pretty approachable, approachable to the point that Post Wrestling's own Waiting was a special guest uh, back on episode 400 of our podcast a little while ago. So you can find that at idiudi.com and by looking up We Have a Technical wherever you find your podcasts. All right. That's uh, definitely go check out all of that. And I'm sure uh, in, in the near future, you will be hearing more of Bruce here on the Post Wrestling Network. So that's going to wrap things up. Uh, I'm going to be back on Friday night with Kate from Montreal. We will go through SmackDown and Rampage heading into the weekend. And thanks to everyone joining us, uh, a lot of people in the live chat tonight. Uh, or if you download it afterwards, we will take the numbers and the listens wherever they come from. So thanks to everybody for joining me. And that concludes Rewind to Dynamite. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.